This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 58. The longer you live, the sooner you're going to die. Sorry to break it to you. Time to get your crap together. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hertzberger. So glad that you're here with me today. Today's interview is pretty interesting. We are interviewing Jen Hardy. Jen is the author of the book called The Sick Mom's Guide to Having Fun Again. Her and I met through a Facebook group of current or aspiring authors and entrepreneurs uh, that's run by Azul Torones, who is a guest in episode 10 of the show and will be a returning guest actually coming up a few weeks from now. And Jen is chronically ill with a series of lavish and what she likes to call rare and mystical diseases, uh, a collector of rare diseases. And it was a really interesting conversation. She's incredibly upbeat considering her obvious situation. And it was just a really inspiring conversation for me, somebody that is just truly in line with what is happening in the realities of life. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I really hope you do as well. I don't want to give, get too much into it. Jen is also, has also recently started a podcast. Another reason why her and I ran into each other called the sick mom's guide. Uh, You can find episodes of that in all the places where you find fine podcasts like this one. But that being said, I really hope that you stick through this one. This episode is really great. Jen's incredible with an amazing story comes with an amazing family. She's got a wonderful heart. I really love this one. Hope you do too. And with no further ado, I give you Jen Hardy. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Jen, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm so excited about talking to you. Yeah, no problem. Now, the audience heard a little bit about your background and a little bit about your book during your intro, the intro that I just let them hear on the show. But obviously, you probably have a slight better sense about your life than I do. Um, so uh, so why don't you just kind of give the audience a little bit of a snapshot of who you are, what's your, what's your background? Um, tell us about the book. Tell us how you started it. And we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. Well, I am married to a retired soldier. And I have seven children um, six of my own and a stepdaughter and a foster daughter right now. So we have eight that yeah. range from six to 28 years old and two sons-in-law. So I guess that's 10. Um, so we've got that and I homeschool the younger ones. We've got five of them in or out of college already. Mm-hmm. And, um, so my typical day, I'm in bed 18 to 22 hours a day. So basically my day is cooking and homeschooling when I'm up. Um, and what happened about Four years ago, I got really sick and nobody could figure it. Well, I was misdiagnosed. They thought they figured it out. Um, And because of the misdiagnosis, I was given medicine that made me sicker. And so I was spending a week in the hospital at a time. 
And after the third or fourth week I had spent in the hospital while I had a two and a four-year-old running around and teenagers at home, I started to look for things to help me be a parent when I couldn't even get out of the bed, right? Like, how can you be a parent when you're in the hospital and your kids are visiting, trying to keep everything running and trying to keep a positive attitude when it was, things were kind of depressing. And I could not find anything online you know, I couldn't obviously go to the library and get books, you know? Sure, um, yeah. So, so I'm looking online and I, I found a lot of things where people were complaining about being sick, which I totally get because, you know, you've got to unload. Right. But I couldn't find anything about how to be a parent when you can't really move. Sure. And like how, how do you put, how do you put a positive twist on it? It's like, yes, this sucks, but I'm still alive. So I still have to do X. Yeah. Right. So right. how do you do X? Yeah. How do you do X? And yeah, and how do you put a positive twist on it, right? And um, I wasn't raised, you know, I was raised in a kind of a like a negative, sarcastic environment. Oh, and so, my, yeah. <laughs> so being sick didn't help my attitude, you know? <laughs> and um, so my husband kept saying, you know, if you want that and there, it doesn't exist, you need to create it. And um, I was like, well, no, because I'm not positive. So obviously I can't create this. And um, we talked about it for about a year. And finally he said, you know, you're supposed to do this. You are the one to do this. And um, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and be fake, you know, Pollyanna. You can be happy even though I'm not really happy. Sure. So I just made a conscious decision that I was going to change my attitude and I was going to help other people do it too. And so I started a blog um, called Chronically Positive Mom. And uh, a lot of people didn't find it because nobody's searching for that. Um, sure. And so I did, but I didn't realize at the time that that was an important thing because I was new to blogging. And then about a year, a little over a year ago, I decided we need more. I need to reach more people. More moms need to get this. Just because you have a diagnosis is not a death sentence, right? We still need to live. It's sure. important. And we need to have fun because I realized I was having no fun at all. I, my little bit of energy I had was taking care of everybody else, right? Taking my kids to the places, taking myself to the doctor, and making sure everyone around me had fun. And my life kind of sucked, honestly. Sure. Um, so I decided to write a book about it. And I did a lot of research about how to have fun when you don't have a lot of energy and what kind of things can you do. And out of that, came the book. I wrote it in eight days and um, took three months to edit that eight days, <laughs> but, uh, but I got everything down in eight days. Now, it was what, just what's the, had, um, what, what's the word count on that book that you banged out in eight days? Uh, about, about, like, I mean, ball, uh, ballpark or number of pages in the book. Like the, the only reason I asked it that way is that, um, no, knowing, knowing our mutual friend Azul, like I do, like right. he's met, he's mentioned in passing that the, when, when you're writing word count matters more than pages because of spacing and formatting and font and pictures and da, 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 like right. you can tell the length of what you're writing more so by word count than pages and being in, in a Kindle world where it's like, well, when you first download it, it's 700 and 707 pages, but then you zoom in and then all of a sudden it's 27,000 pages. I'm like, oh, wait, okay. Um, yeah, no, my book on Kindle is only about 90 pages. It's okay. not really long. I did it that way on purpose. And in print, it's large print because the I can't see at the end of the day, right? And a lot of people that are reading my book are really tired. And so the way I did it was there's subheadings with like bold subheadings, a lot of those. So if you're not feeling great, you can skim the subheadings and get to where you want to get and read the important part to you. Or you can get to the lists really easy because mm -hmm. there's 25 things to do with your spouse or the love of your life is how I put it because some people just 
don't have it. You know, I wanted to include everybody and, um, 25 things to do with your friends, 25 things to do on your own, and then a hundred things to do with your kids. 50 of those, if you can't get off the couch. Wow. Now of the, how many of those did you trial run on your own? We've tried a lot. Okay. I've tried a lot of them. Um, just to see, you know, a lot of it's stuff that I've already done. Like I talk about if you can't get out and take a vacation, but you really feel like you need a break to creating a sense of being out. Mm-hmm. So we'll have like movie nights where we'll have for the older kids, it might be jaws, you know, we collect all like shells and beach towels and all this stuff from all over the house. And we have them set it up and to kids, even older kids, mm-hmm. they do get this sense of being somewhere else if mm-hmm. they have the backdrop. Right. Sure. So that's something we do a lot in our house. So okay. we kind of pretend like we take off because I don't travel well. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that we do all the time and we've tried a lot of it. The geocaching is one of the first ones on the list that we haven't done yet that I really want to do. Um, cause it seemed like so much fun. Yeah, no, that that's, that's something that my wife has, ma- has mentioned that, you know, her and her bunch of college friends used to do a lot and it was, that it was a lot of fun. Never got, never got into it too much myself, but yeah. Now yeah. when, when you, when you were writing that, like, what was the, what was, I guess, kind of the demonic possession that made you think that you needed to do it in eight days or was it something, did it just kind of happen or did you say, well, damn it, I've got to get this thing out. Like, got to get this thing out there. Like, what was it that made you, you know, do it that was quickly? Actually, Azul, I did a thing with Azul, you mm. know, and he talked about doing the brain dump yep. thing. And I did it and I would just set the timer for 30 minutes and I threw everything out on a piece of paper and I did it one more 30 minutes mm-hmm. and then I would just set a timer because my time is so tight with what I've got going on. Sure. And so I would just set a timer for one or two hours and write as much as I could in that time. And it just happened to be that over the course of two weekends and a couple of days in the middle, it, it was out. Gotcha. So, gotcha. yeah, but no, it wasn't self-imposed. It just, it just needed to come out, I guess. Got it. Now the, you mentioned, you mentioned now, did you, did you know Azul prior to hearing about his sort of writing challenge program? No, no. So I just heard about the writing program and I did it and I wrote the book and then I jumped back in his program this year because he's just so awesome. And I wrote, I wrote a children's book while I did it this year. So that's not, hasn't come out yet. So yeah. uh, When's your target release for that? Well, it was June, but now I'm not, I'm not honestly quite sure because, uh, this podcasting, it's a, it's a more work than I anticipated. Welcome to the, welcome to the world, my dear. Yeah. yeah. Now, and, it, um, it's fun. Yes. It's all kinds of fun, but all- it, it is a lot more work. It's a lot more work than anyone that you meet tells you ahead of yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And the new book, it's a children's book. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I'm getting other people who are chronically ill, their children to illustrate my book. So oh, every cool. illustration is going to be written by a child whose mom is dealing with this stuff. So that's kind of, that's, what's going to take more time. But I was I about to say, hence the massive delay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> now the, with, with what's the, pre- what's the premise of the new book? So the premise of the new book is it's a little boy about my son, my six-year-old son's age, and he's writing about all the things his mom can't do, and he's sad because his mom can't do things. Okay. Uh, it's like I can't take my kids on a walk. I can't. I haven't carried him since he was two because um, my muscles just won't do things. There's a lot I can't do, and it's very frustrating. Sure. And then he kind of comes to this 
wow point in the middle where he realizes, oh, wait, but there are some things she can do. Mm-hmm. And so the, the second half kind of goes over all the things that mom can do. And it's for kids, you know, especially moms who like, let's say they have cancer, right? They weren't sick before. And all of a sudden mom can't do all this stuff. Yeah. It's really hard for the kids to wrap their brain about it and understand you know, like, who is this woman? This isn't my mom anymore. She can't yeah. do anything. And I yeah, want them she, to understand yeah. that she can. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a matter of changing your perception and what you expect mom to do. And yeah. hopefully it'll help kids see that their mom can do stuff. Yeah. And and like I said, the, the, <clears throat> changing the circumstances, changing the setting, changing, you know, so, some tweaks of the expectations. Because, yeah, because from a kid's perspective, I mean, if you, like you said, he was two when you last picked him up. He's lived all of two years of his life. His entire life, you have picked him up. And then one day, all of a sudden, that doesn't happen anymore. It's like, well, what do you mean you can't? You have. You're lying to me. Like, because in his mind, it's right. like, well, you're lying to me saying that you can't pick me up. Yes, you can. You've done it before. Yeah. Just yeah. the under, understanding, understanding that is probably going to be really hard for a kid that age. Yeah. And then, you know, they look around, you know, we live in a neighborhood where there's sidewalks and everything and all these other mom and dad, you know, they're biking and they're walking and my husband's a disabled vet. So neither one of us are taking our kids on a bike ride or anything. And, you know, it's really, it's really hard, but I've discovered in this journey that we're not alone. There's millions of moms out there that have chronic illnesses and their kids all need some kind of help and support. And so I'm hoping, hoping that they can realize they're not alone too. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the, uh, in, in this age where social, where social media is absolutely king, but is, is taking its licks lately, um, because of whatever, call it violations of privacy or whatever it is. It's like what one, one thing that I have always said about it and that I'll continue to defend it on is exactly that. It's like, if you, if you were your family living in your neighborhood right now without any access to social media, how the hell would you find these other families? Like it would be impossible. It would be impossible. Like, whereas if you've got, you know, if you, if you contracted one of those rare diseases where there's 300 people on the planet that have it at any given time, you know, just how on earth are you going to find each other? Like it was impossible before it was impossible before it it was impossible to make noise about it. It was impossible to, you know, to lobby for cures. It was impossible to do all that stuff before. Yeah. But now it's a lot like all you have to do is search for a single keyword in the top bar of Facebook and then poof, you've got 5 million people that have the exact same condition with a family with the exact same structure. Like it's really amazing that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's true. Cause that is how almost all the people are finding me is through some kind of social media and yeah. Gotcha. Now so, when you, when you released the book initially, you released it on Amazon, self-published on Amazon or was there yeah. any other avenues? Um, Barnes and Noble books, a million, like all major online realtor or realtors, no ah. <laughs> resellers. Yeah. Book resellers. I, I, yeah, it's, it's out everywhere. I did it through create space. So they are owned by Amazon, but they also let me release it everywhere except to libraries. For some reason, libraries aren't allowed to get it from there, but that's okay. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know how that works. Yeah. So. Now, r- real quick, just a digress because sure. you know that's how my brain works. You, you mentioned that you mentioned that your husband was, it was a soldier. Yes. I assume army. Army. Yes. Okay. Um, were you got, were you guys married early on when he was active duty or did you guys meet afterwards or what's your, so we married after he was active duty, but he did go to Iraq when we were married. Okay. So when I had, when I, yeah, we had our daughter late. We decided to get pregnant with her when he, we knew he was going to Iraq, which wasn't brilliant. I was going to say that's um, a, 
that's a great, good move. Yeah. Yeah. So we got married. Yeah. We got married, got pregnant with her. And then he left, he came back for our anniversary. I had her and he left again for eight months and didn't see her for eight months. Um, but the thing about, you know, the, the fabulous internet is that we did, we were really lucky to be able to talk to him almost every day. And so I made it a point for her to see him. And we actually made this little cardboard cutout of him that went everywhere with us because so many babies, <laughs> their dads come back or their moms come back and they don't know who they are. Yeah. So, you know, oh yeah, my she God, knew who so, it was. That's so oh, funny. Oh yeah. You make this thing and it, I can't remember what they call it, but then, then you put them in like in the family pictures and stuff. And yeah, it's hysterical. Uh, is that, is that a common thing? Like, is that a common thing among, among military families that I had just never heard of or. Yeah. Well, yeah. More people do it than you would think. I, oh my God. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, he would actually go in the car occasionally. Yeah. It's hysterical. <laughs> and go to pieces. Yeah. It's like, he, it's like he wouldn't fit well in the seat, but you know, he would, he would be in the car. Well, it's just like waist up, you know, okay. yeah, it's not like full, you know, but you can like, yeah, he can be in pictures and, and it's just a good way for the kids to see, just, just to remember that, you know, yeah, he belongs here. You know, this is his house too. And even though he's, that's, fu that's funny. It's um, thanks. Thank you actually for pointing out about that. It was just sort of waste up because I, I had visions of, okay, where you were the purpose of where, why we're using this thing is so that we can see, see, look, this is daddy. Daddy's part of the family. He's going to be part like, and then every time you get in the car, you like, you, pu you push and <laughs> shove and bang his head and punch him and punch him in the crotch to fold him in half so that he gets into the seat. I'm like, that hmm. is like, well, they're going to probably going to remember to do that to daddy too. When he gets back, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? It's like, he, fi he finally gets back and meets his eight year old. And the first thing the eight year old does is punch him in the crotch. It's like, <laughs> she's learning. He's learning. You know, it's like, it's like, he's learning. He's learning. What else can you say? Yeah. God. I mean, be, be, being, being gone for that first year. I mean, being now being, being a dad of a, almost three-year-old or actually by the time this episode airs by being the dad of a three-year-old and of a almost one-year-old um god missing that first year i can't imagine like just as a dad i can't imagine what that's like I mean, i'm i'm preaching to the choir i'm sure and if anybody's listening to this yeah. it's in a military family this is business as usual this is nothing this is nothing at all out of the ordinary but god yeah. talk about a sacrifice i can't possibly imagine yeah, we were lucky because he was only gone for one year. Well, he, I mean, he had done other time sure. before he met Prior, me. Yeah. Um, so, but some of these guys, yeah, I mean, they would go three to five times in a row with a few months to a year in between. I know I can't even, I can't imagine. It's it's really tough. It's yeah. really tough. I have a lot of respect for them doing yeah. that. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, when, when you, were you guys uh, like, were you guys living on base at the time or? So we were really lucky because he was national guard. And so okay. you don't live on base. So they can't move you. So that's why we decided not to go back to full-time army ah, okay. because I had, when we got married, I had four kids and he had one. Okay. So, um, they had a lot going on already. And so he stayed guard knowing that he was going to go to Iraq though. Okay. So, and then he, he had a lot of stuff happen to his body. So he got, he's medically retired now, but if, if, if I can ask what, what was his job? Like, what did he do in this, in the army? Computer stuff. Okay. And, and radios. Okay. Gotcha. So he actually went ahead of time to set up all their stuff and he was in an air cav unit, which is cavalry. So now that's helicopters. So before yeah. it was horses, now it's helicopters. So he was the guy who helped the 
helicopters talk to the people and they were at a forward operating base and set up all that techie stuff. See, I, I, I knew that, that, that was, that's what was cavalry. Talk about a hell of a jump. Like, can you imagine, can you imagine it's like, okay, what is like, I wonder if that happened like in a day, like, did they retire the existence of cavalry for 50 years and then, then brought it back when they had helicopters or just one day we're like, okay, guys, shoot all the horses. We got something else. Now look at this thing that's flying down from the sky. I'm like, Oh my, like talk about a hell of a transition for a, for a military unit. It's like, okay, we're, tra- we're going from training, you know, four legged things that we're riding around on to things that fly hundreds of miles an hour through the sky with propellers and da da da. I'm like, was that how smooth of a transition was that? I kind of wonder. Yeah, that's a, now now you're making me wonder. That's a really interesting question, right? Yeah, it's like, did, it's, like it's a huge difference. Yeah, like did they did they keep the cavalry all the way up until say Vietnam, and then just in Vietnam we're like, yeah, horses don't do good in the jungle, um, but we still need to use the soldiers. Let's let's throw them into helicopters and call them cavalry, I'm like. <laughs> How did that like I'd actually be really curious to I'm going to I'm 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 writing that down cuz I want to look that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to need to you're going to need to let me know or I'm going to need to look it up too. Yes. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Now, the the what what did you the process obviously of writing the book happened relatively quickly. You said the editing process took a, took a lot longer than that obviously. But like what did the Writing a book, any book, doesn't even necessarily have to apply to this book, but what did writing this book do for you? Like, what was, what did you get out of writing this book that you didn't get out of the writing that you were doing before? Because it sounded like you were writing before. Yeah, I was, um, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. I am, I love books. I'm, it's total, like, geek before geek was a good thing you know mm-hmm. um so i've, I've and, spent- and for the for the audience just so you know we're you're hearing the audio of this but when jen and i are talking we're actually video skyping so i can see her and she has a massive bookshelf behind her uh <laughs> just so you know so she's i she's not saying this just for the purposes of an interview <laughs> yeah no i i absolutely love books um and um Wait, what was the question? Let's see. Now I'm no like what, what did you, what did you, what oh, did what you did get, get, out of, get out of writing a book as opposed to the writing that you were doing before? Why was this different? Well, because partly because the way my body is, so I have this rare muscular dystrophy thing that is atrophying my muscles and replacing them with fat. Mm. And so I'm slowly watching my body kind of dwindle in its function. And which is depressing, you know, when you really sit and think about it, but to write, can't this, imagine why <laughs> to, <laughs> to write the book. I don't know. It's like something that's going to live on like past me. Right. Sure. And that I know I'm using what's happening to me to help other people. To me, that's huge. Sure. So instead of just like wallowing in myself, whatever, I have done something and created something that's going to help other people that are either where I'm at or hopefully, you know, in a better place, but still dealing with this kind of thing. And so I don't know, it's something that's going to live on and it's something that's going to help other people. And it's just something that has always been a life goal of mine. And I can hold it in my hand and be like, I did it, you know, I accomplished it. And it feels really good just to know that I've done it. That's awesome. Now, do do you have plans for other books? I do. This one says book one. It's actually book one in a series of three. So, okay. 
So, but and book two is the kids' book or the no book two is not the kids' book. I didn't plan on the kids' book actually. I was talking to Azul. He was on a conference call, and while he talked, I wrote the kids' book. Um, so it just kind of <laughs> came out of nowhere. Um, but the He's other like, books, no, no offense, Azul. She wasn't listening to you. Anyway. I, yeah, right. I know, but I yeah, it sounds bad, but he just inspired. He's very inspiring to me. Yeah. So I really like him a lot. Um, but no, book two, I was thinking about doing something about like how to run your house when you can't really get off the couch. Um, because I've got, I get in-home therapy, like OT and occupational therapy and physical therapy. And, and they talk a lot about what people's houses are like. And it's very sad because people don't have energy to do anything. Yeah. And I've got a lot of tricks and tools that I use to get things done. So my house is clean and neat and organized with my limited energy. And I want to share that with other people. Um, and then the third one is going to be about dying gracefully okay. and how to put things together. So a little less to, less fun than sure. the first one. Um, but I think it's really necessary because nobody wants to talk about dying and nobody wants to talk about any of that. But we all die. And I think having a plan beforehand makes things a lot easier on everybody who's left behind than not having a plan and having people put things together that they just – when they're already having grief. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, I having, you know, having, having lost both parents, you know, already having lost both parents already by, by my mid thirties was definitely, and ha having to sort of manage that sort of process, manage the estate process, manage all that type, that type of stuff. It's not fun at all made worse by when the parents didn't really do anything to prepare on their end. Um, right. That that makes it tragically hard on, you know, the children or the surviving spouse or, you know, whatever it is. A little less on a surviving spouse. It's a little less on a surviving spouse because assuming you were living your lives together, assuming you both owned the house, assuming you but like, you know, assuming right. you then both that part's easier. That part's yeah. e that part's easier. But when God forbid if it's both parents and the kids are left is like, oh my God, look at look at all the crap that mom still had. You know, it's just and you don't know like you don't know. It's like, oh my God, she hasn't filed her taxes in six years. What the hell are you gonna do? Whatever it is. Just the, yeah. that's a that's a subject that really needs to be talked about more. Yeah. Um, See, we, we just went through it with my mom. I had already decided to write the book, but we went through that exact same thing um, over the summer and it just cemented that it needs to happen. And also, you know, a lot of people like your age, my age, they don't make wills because they don't think they're going to die and they don't make a plan. And then if something happens, uh, what's going to happen to their kids? Like people don't have that plan. And yes, it's depressing, right? Nobody wants to think about it, course, but if you yeah. don't, about it where are your kids going to live if it's not in writing and lawyers haven't done their thing um that's really scary for your kids yeah. if they're younger yeah, so i think it's, we just need to open up the conversation about it um as in a the least depressing way possible and help people understand that these these things just have to be done there's a uh, there's a there's actually a wonderful book on this topic that i came across that's more more of a medical focus more so than a Dot, like like the topic that you're that you're bringing up about how to approach it, and it's called How We Die. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's 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 cl it's soft clinical is how right. I like how I like to describe it. Like it's it's very it it's they get very specific and very detailed, but basically it's a book that explains the exact process of dying. What happens? Oh what, wow! What happens to your body? What? How do? How do you die? And what that process is under varying types of death. It just and it's 
it sounds terribly depressing. I'm sure if you're li- if you're listening to this, I'm sure you think like this sounds like wonderful bedtime reading for you know you, <laughs> you and your spouse. But I mean the the reality is the reality is is that we we're we're afraid we're afraid of things that we don't know. Like that that can be rooted back to that can be rooted back to political differences. That can be rooted back to racism. That can be rooted back to our fear of death. That can be re- rooted back to our fear of having kids. It could be like people's like, Oh, it, it all comes back to like, well, I, realistically you're, you're afraid of things that you don't know about. And that book was really enlightening where it just, it explains to you very cleanly this is what's going to happen. It happens to absolutely everyone and everything. This is how it works. Like n- now, you know, because we, 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 we ignore those details. Like you said, we ignore those details because it's morbid. It's scary. It's depressing. Like what, whatever right. the, whatever coin, whatever excuse word you want to pull out of your hat so that you don't have to think about it or deal with it. You know, that, that book was actually really helpful. Yeah, I well, I'll have to read that too because that yeah. looks it sounds real interesting. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's like interesting. <laughs> like interesting. Yes, it was like it was like a, a nice light raid. Maybe maybe not so much, but it was. It's definitely it's definitely something for, for um for people to take a look at. Um, but I'm I'm I like I like talking about that process because <laughs> as as a horrible of a person as that makes me sound like it's like I like I love talking about death, but. It's, it's, it's important. Like we're, you know, I'm, we're going to die possibly this afternoon. You know, it's like, like we're going to die possibly via, via, via mass transit bus this afternoon. You don't know. It's like the, I mean, I was, um, we, we had just something as freak accident or simple as it could be. We just had a really hard windstorm here yesterday. And it wasn't anything terrible, you know, but sustained probably 40, 50 mile an hour winds, gusts throughout the day. One of the shutters ripped off of our house and hit against the wall and shattered. That was probably a 20, it was probably a 20 pound thing that went flying through the air and thank God only hit a brick wall. If, (laughs) you know, if the wind was blowing at a slightly different angle, that would have, that would have taken off my head if I was standing out there. Right. Who the hell? It's like, and that's just you know going out to the grocery store and you get hit in the head by a freaking flying shutter. It's like, wait, wait what? <laughs> like that's some, that's like a story that you see on the news, right? But right, and and not not planning for things doesn't make it not happen. No, no, and you know? the long the longer you ignore it, the more scary it becomes because yeah. the because you know in your head, you know in your head you're going to die. Not you, Jen, but yes, you, of course, obviously, but, but you know, yeah. me, me too, you being anybody that's here. One, one knows that one will, be one passing. knows that one will die, you know, <laughs> and, and anyone, anyone that does it, I got a bridge to sell you, <laughs> but the, so we know what's going to happen. We know the long, the longer we live, the more, the, as funny as it sounds, the longer we live, the sooner it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, the longer we live, the sooner we're going to die. And then so talking about it becomes that much scarier. You know, the the, the becomes that much scarier. The cost of acquiring life insurance becomes that much more expensive. <laughs> they like all of the like everything is worse the longer it takes for you to come to terms with the fact that this is going to happen and that you got to figure it out. Yeah. Um 
so no, I mean that that's definitely that's something that my wife and I squared away, you know, a little over two years ago. Was the like all of the estate planning stuff, all of the life insurance stuff, like everything is squared away. My wife will be able to live on a very nice beach, you know, like my wife and kids will be able to live on a very nice beach and never have to work if she doesn't want to. God forbid if something happens to me, and vice versa, and all the estates taken care of in the event of. We're driving in a car together on a date night and a boulder falls on top of the roof. You know, the the guardians are care- taken care of and whatever. And it was a wonderful relief. Yeah, it, yeah I was going to say, does, don't you feel better, though? No, I mean, not. Yeah. Knowing and what will happen to your kids, you know, yeah. like just no, it just gives you some peace. It does. And the the other thing that it does, getting getting back to the getting back to this constant feeling of dread when it comes to this topic, once you do take care of all that stuff, guess what? Now you don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Because yeah, it's not nagging in the back of your head. Like yeah. what if, what if, what if, what if that what if is all gone? Yeah, it is. It's and it is for us. It's all gone. It's like, you know, for, we know we know for both term or whole or type of whatever kind of insurance that you've got, we know for this period of time, we are absolutely squared away. You know, when it comes permanently for the estate stuff. It's like we know if something happens to one, either me or Carrie or both, we know everything's cool. And just yeah. we don't have to worry about something not going right with our kids or with our family. Um, yeah. Well, and it also the time to do that is before you get sick, if you can. Yes. Which you know, because people when they're not when they're not sick, they don't want to think about it. But if you wait, like I can't get insurance. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't get long-term care insurance. I can't get life insurance unless it's through my husband's employer. Mm -hmm. I can't get any of that because I'm sick. I've got diagnoses that make them not. You already have a diagnosis. You're done. Yeah, you're done. I mean, the insurance companies won't touch you. Yeah. And so if you're young and you can grab some whole life policy when you're like in your twenties and totally healthy and just, you know, skate, then you're finished. Yeah. So, but who in their twenties wants to think about that? So the might you know, after I get through the fun part and doing this and I write the other one, I want to really reach out and get people to understand. Well, nobody in their twenties dies. So right. You, right. you didn't, you know that? Yeah, you, so you, why bother? You yeah. haven't, you haven't heard about that. I, I heard that. I heard that. On, I, I Googled that 20 year olds don't die. <laughs> so never happened <laughs> unless you happen to be in the line of work that your husband was in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's just it's 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 definitely something that we need that needs to be heard more. Um, is that you? Me- you mentioned going through that process with your mom and how that's kind of you know sort of impacted your perspective on it. Now, were were you? Did you guys kind of sort of have stuff squared away prior to that, or was the situation with your mom kind of the the trigger to? sort of light the fire under you guys to get your stuff squared away. Oh no, we've had our stuff squared for a long time. Cause okay. you know, he was going to Iraq and stuff. So we did that, but no, my mom didn't believe in telling anybody anything about where any of her money or anything were. Oh, so it's, um, it's like things were buried in holes in the backyard. <clears throat> Only they're buried with different companies and different people, but nobody knows who they are. Um, and it's kind of a nightmare because like, there's one person that we know had some of her money mm-hmm. and I have paperwork that shows, but it's a couple years old. And so I called this investment guy out in California where we used to live. And he's like, mm, that $15,000 is gone. Sometimes it just goes away. Yeah. But because she didn't, what? Us the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But because I don't have the right paperwork, right. I can't prove anything. And so she refused to give anyone anything in writing. I'll, uh, people that she left behind. So instead of securing her money, 
now all these uh, cheating investee people, because there were several of them, they get to keep our money now. <sighs> so, yeah, it's just another it. But it just reaffirms the thing that you really need to let people like find somebody you trust or. Um, put something in a safety deposit box and let the person know, like when I die, you get to see it because yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah. Yeah. We have a, we have a key for something. We don't know what it's for. It probably holds all the answers, but uh. yeah. So um, yeah, just another reason to, to put things together. right? And also just another reason to trust your family, a little trust somebody in your family a little bit. Somebody. Yeah. Or somebody outside your family, like trust somebody. Yeah. And let somebody know oh what's happening. Oh my God. I mean, it's, and especially like it's, it's almost, I'd almost say that it's becoming a little bit easier now because now even financial institutions are strong arming you to do everything online. So there's a paper trail there. Like there, there's, there's, there's a paper trail. There's, there's usernames and passwords and you know, that, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> In previous generation, like in previous generations, like I don't know how how old was your mom when she passed, if you don't mind me. Seventy two. And this was how recently? Uh this past June. Okay. A little less than a year ago. Okay. Yeah. So your your my, my mom was seventy six when she passed in two thousand sixteen. Okay. You know, and so on. So yeah, but of that generation, that's you know, that's the ones that ca carry all their paperwork around and like the paper satchels here and like this and keep stuff in safety deposit boxes all around town and you know, whatever yeah. I'm like Where's my shit? Like you, you don't know. It's like if they like if they keel over, like, well, where's the key for the safe deposit box? Wait a minute. Where the hell is the safe deposit box? It was under the brick in the back corner of the basement downstairs. You know what I mean? Wow, yeah. It's like like where is like where's the key for the safe deposit box? Oh wait, where was the safe deposit box? Pretty sure she used to go to this bank. So you called there. It's like, but where's the key? You don't have the key and you're not on the account, so they won't let you in. It's like, but if you had the key, they let you. Where's the key? It's like so like the three three homeowners, you know, three owners later in that property finally get to renovating the basement. They're like, "Huh, what's this key?" That was like hidden in the sub pump pit, sump pump pit in a fake rock. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what the hell? It's like, that's, that's basically what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Now where, where in California did you live? Um, right on the border of LA and orange County, little town called La Habra Heights up in the Hills. We raised uh, chickens and pigs and horses and stuff. And oh my God, uh, that sounds so fun. in a little pocket where you can do that in LA. So yeah, that sounds so fun. Yeah, it was, it, it was pretty awesome. Now what, why were you out there? Was, is that where you were raised? That's where I was raised. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So the key could be in the chicken pen. It could be like even more, more room than the right. damn house. Well, because no. she had moved <laughs> to Ohio, but there was, there were also breadcrumbs. Yeah. Everywhere. Oh my gosh. So, so we just kind of, we decided so to um, <laughs> let it go. Yeah. We decided to just let it go. Um, I, I did my, myself and my husband, um, and let the people who want to do all the chasing find the things yeah. and have the things. Because for me, it just got so – it was a, it was not the greatest situation anyway. And it just made it so much more stressful. I, so I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I gave up the trail. <laughs> <laughs> so um, – you you met you mentioned about you mentioned again jumping around. Welcome to Jason's okay. brain. <laughs> Jason's brain one hundred and one. 
Um, you mentioned the the condition that you have is I is it it was misdiagnosed initially. It was so I was diagnosed with a thing called myasthenia gravis. So okay. I have a bunch of other things like asthma and sleep apnea and arthritis and all these things that could be big, except that they're all in the back burner because I have this thing. So, um, so they found they did a scan of my back and they found that almost all my muscle outside my spine is gone. Okay. So it's hard. That's so it's hard for me to like sit up and do. Th- I have to lean and whatever. Hence the, um, hence the lying down most of the day. Yes, That's because that. I physically okay. can't like you could like I would have to like yeah like have some kind of like strap me into the wheelchair kind of a thing, um, but I can walk a little bit too. But um, anyway, so I was diagnosed with this thing called myasthenia gravis because the doctor looked at me and my eye droops, and so he's like, oh well, we're going to worry about the drooping eye instead of the fact that you've lost half of your muscles. And so we're going to call it myasthenia gravis and we're going to treat you for that. And none of my blood tests came back positive and none of, which is normal in 10% of the people. Um, but what happened is it's an autoimmune disease. So they got me tons of prednisone, which um, didn't help by the way, and turned me into the Hulk. Like I was horrible. So from about four to seven, I was viciously mean. Like I broke our dresser. I slammed the toilet seat so hard. I broke it off the toilet. Like, and we're talking about somebody who's weak, right? Yeah. Um, but it turned me into somebody that I'm not. So steroids, steroids do terrifying things. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah. And so they, to counteract that, they gave me a muscle relaxer to calm me down, not knowing my muscles were not functioning properly and which was the core, which should have been obvious from the beginning. But, um, and so that made me not breathe. Hence my stays in the hospital. And so finally my husband, the doctor wouldn't take me off the prednisone and they were like, you'll die if you go off it. So my husband was army at the time, had his uniform on, went with me because doctors also don't like to listen to women. This is a very frustrating thing. Um, But if you take your husband with you, then they'll frequently listen to your husband. My husband is 6'2 and a fairly large man and in his army uniform can be a tad bit intimidating. The fatigues help. Yeah. They helped. And he was like, you will take her off this medicine and you will do it now. And we will figure something out. And the doctor's like, I will take her off this medicine and I will do it now. He's like, yes, um, yes, like yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, so, sir. Um, so I got off that, stopped taking the muscle relaxers and I stopped going to the hospital. Um, and I'm now in my 10th neurologist. And um, just so you know, like what this is like going to the doctor, he says, I just want you to know your chart's too long. I'll never have time to read it. I'm very busy. I won't see you more than once a year, and I really don't see what we can do. And that's not the worst one that I've had. So it's a little bit frustrating. Um, my insurance denies doing the genetic testing because it's too expensive. But sure. also, because um, I've had a bunch of genetic tests, they all come back negative. Whatever I have is so rare. I'm like a unicorn. Mm-hmm. That, But even if it is a muscular dystrophy that they can define, there is no cure for muscular dystrophy, and they can't slow it or stop it. So I think my insurance is like, why are we going to spend, you know, $50,000 to tell you that we can't help you? Yeah. So that's kind of where we are. Now, um, like that, by the way, that's an, I, I think you should write that book. The what's more, that? The meanderings through the healthcare system. Oh my like God. A meanderings through the healthcare system. It's just, with the, just the perspective of someone with a rare disease making their way through that process. 
Uh, yeah, at least a nightmare. Like we we traveled to another state to see the number three muscle guy because we could drive to get to him. Okay? okay, obviously number one or two would be better, but you know, hey, three in the whole country. Sure. And um, so we go in there and just the ineptitude, right? The, so he, I, I have to squeeze this thing that measures my strength, mm-hmm. and so he wraps his hand around my hand and he squeezes and he says, "Oh, you're really strong." Well, no. You're squeezing the thing. And then I have to the do this hell? with my leg and he pushes my leg. Oh, you're really strong. And then he documents that I'm really strong and sends me back home and says that I'm fine. And no one will listen like, but that had nothing to do with my test of strength whatsoever. Um, I had tests up there where people called other people in from other offices and they're like, you've got to see this. I've never seen this before. But then they documented that everything looked normal. It, it's just been the weirdest thing. I would imagine. It's been really weird. But with the MRIs, they can see like the muscles gone. And so they can choose to, you know, it frustrates them. I've got a really good family practice doctor and I've talked to him about it, about people's attitudes toward me when I go into the office. And he said, the problem is their job is to fix people. Their job is to heal people. And they know they can't heal me and they get frustrated and they don't want to see me because they can't make me better. And so he, his thing is he just wants to make me comfortable because you can imagine if half of your muscles are gone, the other half are working very hard and they're screaming with the strain of working, right? It's like if you have a company and you fire half the employees, the other employees are going to be working super hard and yelling pretty loud that they're not happy. And that's what my body's doing. So I'm in a lot of pain all the time. So, um, so he's at least willing to help me be comfortable and, uh, yeah, that's what I've got. So, but I'm, I'm determined. I'm still, you know, I'm determined. I'm going to find somebody. Now let's take this in a couple different, we could take this a couple different angles, but what I'd like to try and figure out, because obviously you've been, you've obviously been through some interesting stuff with our wonderful, (laughs) with our wonderful healthcare system. Um, I mean, for, for people that are listening, like if they either have a spouse or in this case, like a mom or whatever that are going through a similar, have it either a similar condition or take your pick of chronic, chronic illnesses. Yeah. Like the, what, what's, how can, how can the family do, how can the family help get their person, whoever that might be to the place where you are now mentally? Because frankly, like the get, getting to a place of having a relative peace with where you are, that's not something that happens very easily. And in a lot of cases or happens at all, like most people just, they, they get sick, they get bitter, they hate life, they hate their family, and then they die. And then yeah. that, it's true. Like, no, I know it's, I know it's, yeah. True. And then, and, <laughs> and true. unfortunately, I mean, especially if you're dealing with a family with young kids, that's the mom or that's the dad that the kids end up remembering the asshole at the end of the day, you know, there's like the right. asshole that left me when I was eight who did nothing yeah. but like throw, you know, throw so cups, throw and- cups at me and yell and yell. Uh, like, but that was it. like, how can, obviously I'd lo- like, I want to look, I'd love to look at this from the angle of how can someone that is chronically ill also help themselves. I think that's important to talk about, but I think I, I tend to harp on the importance of relationships and family. Like that's something that's very important to me. So for people that are living with family members that are in this situation, what can they do or can they do anything? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that they can do is believe the person who says they're sick. 
So you would not believe how many, I've got a support group, you know, and every couple of months, someone's husband is leaving, someone's significant other is leaving. Um, because, um, and I know in my own situation, um, I've had family members that should have been supporting me and helping me that don't believe I'm sick. In the beginning, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia because I couldn't figure it out, right? And so fibromyalgia, for those who experience it, is very real. But for those in the medical community, a lot of times it translates into being a hypochondriac, and a lot of times they don't take you seriously. And so, and a lot of family members, you can't see, like my my illness is invisible, Right. And so I look like I'm fine. You can see the symptoms, but, or yeah. Right. Like you can see me. I mean, like my husband can look at me and know by looking at my face, how I feel, Mm -hmm. but my older children who have been some of them, not all of them who have been influenced by other people who tell them that I'm fine and everything's fine. Think that I could be making things up and trying to get attention. And that is the worst because that's already what I'm running up through with the doctors, right? Yeah. So, um, so like the doctors right now have, have done testing and they know my, um, my diaphragm is working at 20%, right? To help me breathe. So if I do anything exerting, I can't breathe, okay. but you can't see that. Yeah. And so if you haven't seen the medical tests and you are inclined to disbelieve whatever, right, yeah. then you don't know. So I think for a lot of people, just, just believing what they say, if they say they're in pain, if they say whatever, then take that seriously. And a lot of times when you don't feel good, it's so hard to make that doctor's appointment or take your medicine or do whatever. Cause even though it's going to make you feel better, you feel like such crap, you can't even get it done. So if you could say like, okay, I'm going to get you a pill organizer and we're going to organize your medicine. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, who, what doctor do you need to see this month? I'm going to make that phone call because just having your illness acknowledged mm-hmm. and being believed and then having someone hold your hand and help you navigate or even, Oh, the a great thing is if you can go to the doctor with them, because especially if it's a woman and you're dealing with this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. they really tend to blow us off and be like, nah, you'll be fine. I'll see you next year. Yeah. Well, you know, is that really acceptable that you only see me once a year? Because um, I choke when I eat now and I can't breathe. In a year, things could be significantly worse. But if I bring my husband with me, they don't treat me that way. So that's what I would say. Like, And also... Um, I just have to say, I just started a podcast. It's called The Sick Mom's Guide, and it's for people with chronic illness. And everybody that I have on has a chronic illness. That's the deal. So I don't have people like doctors saying, if just, you know, work out for 30 minutes a day and you'll be fine. So everybody that's on has something, right? And they've had an issue and they've learned how to move past it and they're living in a positive way. So every person, so I've, I've, had somebody with fibromyalgia and somebody talking about food sensitivities and anxiety. I've had postpartum depression, somebody whose child has passed away because it's, it's mental health issues as well as physical health there. And so for, if if people want to understand what it's like listening to, you know, pick an episode of something that relates to your family members thing and listen, because these people are explaining how they get through it. Um, And then I talk about how I get through it too. There's some episodes with just me talking about how I, how I get here and how I choose to make things better because really it's a choice. And like, I didn't choose it for myself. I didn't say, Oh, I'm just going to be happy because I deserve to be happy, which is a human normal thing to do. But I made the decision for other people. And sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to be better because of other people. 
you know, and I'm yeah. going to make things better for my kids or for my whatever, you know, and help them have a goal, maybe like a, a little goal, you know, that's, I don't know, like for me, it was writing a book or, you know, doing, but some, it doesn't have to be that big. It can be, you know, like, is there a class that this person's wanted to take or something like help them have something positive to focus on. That's because if you sit around all day and think about being sick, it's depressing as crap. You sit around wait, like waiting, waiting for the next wince of pain or the next time, right? That, the time, the next time that you're going to eat, which is going to hurt or whatever. It just, yeah, that sound that sounds like a wonderful life or just, Googling your illness and finding out what's going to happen later and how slowly and painfully you're going to die, you know, like, and, and then you dwell on that. It's a horrible way to live. Sure. So, <clears throat> so about bottom line, it sounds like, you know, key, key advice for anybody that's listening. If this person is a loved member of your family, treat them like a loved member of your family and believe them and take care of them. It is, like, yeah. know, is, is sounds like a decent, decent place to start. Which surprisingly um, happens not as often as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we live, as they say, we live in an information age as, as corny as that sounds. It's like, well, it was like, my mom's sick. Okay. I need to start looking into it. I need to start asking questions. I need to start shooting emails and posting comments on social media and asking questions. And like, and obviously you're going to be getting responses back. It's like hypochondriac, just ignore her and she'll come out of it. Or it's like, it, like she's got hand pain. Oh, big deal. Well, my hands have hurt for 25 years and I'm able to do and da, da, da. like it, you're going to get those comments. And when, you know, especially if you're a, like if you're a late teenager and the comment from the, like from the loud shouting one saying that her hands have hurt for 25 years, if that comment got 30 likes and the one saying, just take care of your mom got two, you know, their eyes are right. just going to go. It's just, it's terrifying how that happens. It's just, it's really terrifying how that can happen. Um, yeah. And, and my advice to people with an illness would be not to complain all the time. Because if you complain all the time, people will stop listening, yeah. right? And if you do the, oh, oh, like every time you move, people do not want to be around you when you're like that. Yeah. And so like for me, it's really hard because, you know, I, it hurts, yeah. but I can't do that because then people want to be around you less and less. So, you know, tell people what the legitimate pain is and then let it go yeah. so that they want to be around and help you more. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Um yeah, the, the the and that that is absolutely true. I've 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 seen I've seen that so many times with people where like I and I've I've been around people like neither either friends or in this case former friends that you know that they'll talk they've talked about you know family member family members that are you know sick or old or just God forbid old like they, it's like they don't want to go see their they they complain about being around their grandmother because all she complains about is her hip it's like that's all she talks about is how bad her hip hurts and da 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 and I never want to see like they don't want to see like they don't want to see her anymore it's like yeah it's it's a real it's sad but it's a real thing. It is a real thing. And you know, and you, that's why you need to have something in your life. That's not your health. You need yeah. to have something for you, whatever it is, you know, yeah. that's not just you sitting around watching Netflix and talking about your pain. Yeah. You how, need to have you, something. How, how would you like for, for somebody that's like your classic, that's like your classic, you know, Amer American workaholic, you know, that all of a sudden get, you know, comes down with a chronic illness Maybe they haven't had one of those, you know, a thing or one of those things that have kind of kept them entertained. Like, do you have any idea about how they should go about, especially if they're now already chronic, 
chronically ill, how should they go about trying to figure out what that could be? Like, is that just something it's like, think back to your childhood, remember what, remember what you liked then and then do that. Or is it, are there, are there resources out there? Are there websites out there? Are there support groups out there that you can recommend for people to kind of help figure out what the hell they can do with their brain, with, with their brain space? All right. When, well, that's a good idea. I think, you know, support groups can be super good or they can be super negative. Sure. So, yeah, because if, if everyone's just in there like, oh, my pain, my pain, and that's all they're talking about, you want to leave that group. Yeah, sure. um, but if you can find a group where they're being positive and they're lifting each other, you know, like, hey, whatever, you know, yeah. I don't, but see, there isn't a lot out there for people that's something for me to put that's something for me to do actually is have a big list of things that you can do you know and like get me regularly involved with Mm -hmm. you know and it kind of depends on your pain level oh my gosh i'll tell you a great thing people can get involved with here's a thing the ronald mcdonald house okay there's one there's so many all over the country if you are close to ronald mcdonald house because here's the deal if you don't feel good you don't have to go all the time and do things but we actually stayed my son has a very rare illness and we stayed in atlanta a couple weeks ago at the ronald mcdonald house for three or four days it is the most incredible thing in the world they only charge 20 people 20 dollars a night to stay there everything else is funded they have food like a full pantry and all this stuff but they, there's always needs and you can go and you can like lead an art class where people just like, you can bring markers and cards and they can draw cards or you can, you know, do all kinds of things. And it mostly supports the parents of kids who are sick. Um, sometimes the kids stay there. Like my son stayed with me, but a lot of times it's for parents who are in ICU, um, whose kids are in the ICU and it gives them a place to sleep that's not at the hospital. Um but there's so many different things, so many different needs they have. And even if you're sick, like you could make phone calls for them or you could, you know, send letters for them or you could do so many different things. And that's just I told them that I would I would talk about that and promote people helping because it's you understand if you're chronically ill, you understand illness, you understand its impact on your family, right? Sure. And these are kids that a lot of them could potentially be dying and or they're going through things and that are incredible things. And these kids are so strong and their parents are so strong, but they need support. So, you know, I would that would be one thing off the top of my head that I would write. Find something you can do to help somebody else. That's yeah. honestly a fantastic thing to do because it takes you yourself out of your own head and it makes you think about somebody else's pain for a while. Sure. And, um, and it helps a lot. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, glad, glad to hear that I've given you ideas for two new books, uh, yeah, the, the, me, meandering through the American healthcare system and, uh, <laughs> like things to do to find something that you will enjoy doing. And you, uh, <laughs> if yeah. you're, if you're chronically ill, it was like, yeah, let, it was like, let me know how that goes. Uh, I no, will. But, no, Jen, I think that's, that's a solid place to wrap up. Um, is there anything else that you want the audience to hear that I didn't already ask about? I don't think so. I Well, okay, yes. Um, I th- You know, it's all about mindset. I think whether you're chronically ill or you're healthy, it's <sighs> – how your life is going to turn out and how things are going to go is all about how you take things, right? So everything that comes at you can be positive or negative. And there's a lot of things like getting a cancer diagnosis. You know, it's hard to spin that to, oh, this is a great thing, right? Sure. But um, but you, the way that you decide to tackle it mm-hmm. and take it on and think about it and think about your future through it mm-hmm. is huge. So if you get a diagnosis, that isn't who you are now. 
you know, like you aren't cancer. That's yeah. just a component of you. Yeah. Um, but even people who are healthy, you know, there's a lot of people who are healthy who just have this mindset, like I'm always going to fail and things are always going to be bad. And, and you tend to fail and have bad things happen when you're constantly focused on that. So just focusing on, I can do better and I can do things and give yourself goals and move towards them for everybody. I think that's just a really good thing. That is awesome. Um, one, one final question that I have for you. Okay. So the question that I ask everybody on the show before we close out and just kind of getting back to the concept of the show being small moves, like what are the, what are the small little things that people can do that can make a bigger difference over time? Like the question is what purchase have you or somebody in your family made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that's had the biggest impact on your life in recent memory. Like you, it was like consider considering your partic- particularly unique situation. I would imagine systems and gadgets of some sort right. are something that are heavily used to try and, you know, supplement, you know, supplement things. So I would imagine that you might be uniquely qualified to answer this question more so than some. Okay. But so, so for me, um, I have a hospital table, like the kind of table you have at, at the hospital that goes over your bed mm-hmm. that's on wheels. Yeah. I have that next to my bed. Mm-hmm. So I can write from there. I can work from there. I can play games with my kids from there if I can't get out of bed. I can um, – we have a, um automatic bed, so they sit up. And yep. when they sit up, you lose your nightstand. So <laughs> I can set everything on there that I need. And for, that has been one of the best purchases I have made. It was like 45 bucks. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. So, and even for healthy people that have an automatic adjustable bed, it's a really good purchase. Well, even still, even still the, like the, the nightstand, you know what? I swear to God, I don't understand the the benefit of the nightstand. Yeah. It's a place, it's a place to throw your crap right before you go to sleep. Maybe have an alarm clock, maybe have a light, but when it comes to act active use surface, you can't use a damn night. Like it's, it's one of the most, yeah. like it's one of the most uncomfortable surfaces to use for anything. It's like you're laying on your side, you're rolling on your back. You have to do it. I'm like, ah, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like, it's a useful surface. It's a useless surface outside of, for just, you know, just your lamp and your clock, your yeah. lamp and your clock. And that's it. And like something to throw at the clock and something to throw at the clock when you don't want to wake up in the morning when it goes off. <laughs> yeah. But this thing, you know, you can move it, you can put it over the bed. It's awesome. That so, is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, is, is there a particular one? Did you get it off Amazon or something? I got or? it off Amazon. I couldn't even tell you which one it was. Just, gotcha. yeah, look at the reviews and make sure they've got four or more because otherwise it's going to fall down on you I, and yeah. drop your food. Yeah. T- totally get it. He's <laughs> like, Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really Thanks great. Thanks for having me. Oh, this has been awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I'm really glad that you stuck through this one. That was a really moving interview that I had with Jen. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. Really quick before you go, uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger. And also if you go over to smallmoves.co forward slash community, that will take you to the community Facebook page and let me know what you think about the show from there. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. And I will talk to you next time around. You've got this.